Welcome to Unconditional Love, a podcast where we explore coming out narratives of queer youth. I'm Anthony Russell Jerry. And I'm Frankie Younger. The Unconditional Love podcast is a part of the Youth Citizenship Narrative Project, a project focused on youth experiences with citizenship through various perspectives. These episodes explore the many sites and spaces that provide respite along the journey towards unconditional love. Specifically, our show asks us to think about coming out to oneself, friends and family, and the numerous institutions that frame our lives, as well as the conflict between the fluidity of one's personal sense of becoming and the permanence of one's being to others. Unconditional love contains subject material that some may find upsetting. However, we have tried to present these narratives in an uncensored form as to remain true to the experiences and points of view of our collaborators. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Unconditional Love. Uh, today, I'm Frankie Younger, and today I'm joined by Anthony Russell Jerry. How you doing? And Grecia Perez. Hi, everyone. And today uh, we had Alejandro for today's show. <clears throat> and what do you think was the most striking part of his interview? For me, I think, uh, I think one of the things that was really sort of... Uh... I don't know, sort of drawn to or, or, or even surprised a little bit by it was the way that uh, Alejandro's narrative sort of gives a, a, a sort of contradictory or, or, or contrasting sense of some of the sort of accepted uh, geographies or spaces of, of queerness. You know, some of the things that he talks about um, and sort of living in particular spaces that, that we oftentimes don't associate with queerness and almost is sort of an anti kind of uh, yeah. queer space mm -hmm. um, are spaces that for him seem to have been really meaningful. And so him sort of making sense of those spaces and still living in those spaces, I think, uh, I think is something that, that, that seems to be a major theme for me, at least in, in one of the, in, in the narrative. Yeah, I, I feel that. Um, <laughs> yeah, he talks about a couple of, of interesting, like, life situations that he finds himself in where he has to be read a certain way and he has to, you know, he has to kind of be like this or just the way that he is uh, withdrawing from certain kind of social situations um, for, you know, maybe to protect himself or just just various social reasons yeah yeah the other thing that's also i mean it's related to to spaces and also a sense of of being able to be is the idea of, of a community finding him uh, and uh, um and you know like somebody questioning him and, and bringing him into the community and and also like the family um family avoiding mm -hmm. knowing but avoiding the the 
the conversation in general and just the engagement. And it's just an interesting dynamic that he shared about what his family does talk about and doesn't. And even with his other siblings' relationships, um, I thought all that was really interesting and he gave us a lot of context. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I guess before we we spoil the the whole narrative, maybe maybe we should take a listen. Yeah. Uh, Without further ado, let's hop on over to the episode. All right, let's do it. Today we're here with Alejandro. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for inviting me. And today we're going to talk about your coming out experience. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I got real silent all of a sudden. I know. Oh, my God. It's hard. No, that's okay. That's okay. It's a a tough subject, right? And so, so... one of the things that, that I've learned, too, from this whole thing is that you never really know what you're going to hear, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and sometimes it's, it's really positive, and sometimes it's, it's not so positive. Yeah. So it makes sense, then, that there's the, uh, the silence. But uh, should we, maybe we'll just get into it, huh? Yeah. Okay. So how, how, how do you want to start us off? Well, it was a long process to begin with. Okay. So I came out. Like to officially to myself when I was when I turned twenty, that's when I started hanging out with um, my fellow coworkers. I um, I worked with in dining, and one of them was a lesbian, and she found out she was very questioning me a lot. Like, why, why are you doing here? Why aren't you hanging out with me or my friends? And I was like, and she took me to um, the LGBT center, and there I met other um, LGBT people, and then that got me to thinking about my own self. And then I finally just gave in and decided to act upon my my um my sexuality and finally explore that. <clears throat> um, I didn't really come so that's when I came out to myself. But then it took me a while to come out to family. I really didn't come out to them. I kept it a secret because my family does. We don't even talk about that stuff. That that sub- sexuality at all, even if it's hetero, we don't even talk about that. It's very ignored. And so, I came out like three times, basically, um, throughout my process. The first time, I came out to my mom through phone. I was drunk. I was <laughs> I was hanging out with my um, my gay friends. We were five of us. We were in a car, and we were driving to. We got we had pizza and wine, and we were driving to someone's place. And then my mom called me in the middle of the night, and. Um, and so when we got to um, my friend's place, we were eating pizza and drinking wine and playing Super Smash Brothers mm-hmm. on the Wii. And then um, she called me again. She's like, where are you? It's like, it's past 12. It's past 12. You should be home already. I was like, oh, I'm hanging out with my amigos. And then all of a sudden, my friends, they started laughing really crazy, all hysterically. And mom was like, so now they're, they're boys, right? And I was like, yeah, they're boys. And they're like, oh, they sound like hotos. And I was like, oh, that's because they are. And she was like, why are you hanging out with them? I thought, oh, because I'm one too. And then she was like, don't say that. That's a lie. And I was like, oh, that's when I decided to hang up. And then when I got home the next day, she just saw me, but she didn't believe anything I said. So um, she didn't tell anybody about it. I guess it was just, it was just shoved aside. And then... Did she talk to you about it at all? No, we don't talk about it. Even to this day? Even to this day. Oh, really? So 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 at that moment you sort of you 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 sort of dropped this bomb on her and then and then just hung up the phone. 
I guess she took it that. Well, you could tell I was I was slurring on the phone. Oh, okay. I, well, I was twenty, so I wasn't even supposed to be drinking. Right. But I see. Can can we can we go back just a little bit? So you've got these the the you've got sort of two two kind of related experiences, right? Where and and it's interesting that they both kind of involve you know women. One your mom, and then another one mm-hmm. before that a coworker, right? Can can you explain a little bit? What do you mean by the the woman at work was kind of questioning you about, you know, mm-hmm. you why do you hang out with, or why don't you hang out with us, or how how did that go? Well, me and her first made eye contact through in the the freezer, the walk-in oh, okay. freezer, and I was talking to her. She was like, she I guess by the way I was talking to her or uh-huh. how I, she was like, oh you you look like a gay boy, <laughs> and she was like, <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, it's like. Have you ever kissed a boy before? I was like, no, I haven't done any of that. And she was like, you ever had a girlfriend? I was like, I had a one girlfriend. She was like, but have you ever had a boyfriend? I was like, no. She was like, have you ever thought of it? And I told her, I thought of it, but I just haven't tried it or anything like oh, that. Okay. And then um, then she's like, oh, you should come with me. And then she took me. Look, somehow there was a drag show happening the next week. Uh-huh. She told me, oh, there's this event coming. You want to go with me? I was like, yeah, sure. And I went with, um, we're going to go buy tickets at the LGBT center. And then she's like, all right, here you get condoms, you get all this. And I was like, oh, okay, I was really interested. And we went next week to the drag show. And that's when um, she introduced me to all her friends. Uh-huh. Um, and then they're like, oh, you should hang out with us. They, I exchanged some numbers and I started hanging out with them after school. Okay. And and were you tw- you were twenty at this time too mm-hmm. about the same age? I was twenty, yeah. Okay, so it was kind of like instead of you finding a community, a community found you. Mm-hmm. That's 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 pretty cool, man. That's yeah, that's pretty cool. It just took, I don't know, because I had that was my my third year actually. Yeah. Um. So I had I spent two years at UCR, without ever even setting foot on the LGBT center. Oh, okay. So it took me two years to get there. Okay. And then how long do you think between that experience and um, and the experience with your mom on the phone, how long do you think, how much time had passed? Um, that took two months. Two months, oh, okay. Yeah. Was, do, do you think, was there some sort of like, it, it seems that it sort of happened kind of rapidly, right, between these two kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Do you think that, was there anything else that was sort of, going on or that created sort of a climate or an environment for these two things to happen kind of within that time span i mean well i did go to a lot of workshops uh-huh. at the at the center they're like um people talking about their experiences and then about their coming out narratives and i was like oh and my friend was like oh you don't have one i was like I, i'm not out a lot of people would say that too i'm not oh, out yet okay and i was like, oh i wonder what that is but then at the same time i would go to parties and stuff and people would talk about their families and all this stuff, like their dynamics. Oh, okay. And they were like, oh, yeah, I got kicked out, or um, my parents totally accepted me, or something like that, along those lines. And so there were those two extremes. Mm-hmm. It, was either, it was either sort of total rejection mm-hmm. or what, what someone perceived to be total acceptance. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think, uh, is, that, is that common in your experience, that there's sort of that, that that's how folks kind of experience it? It's either one extreme or the other? I think... No, there's there's more than those two extremes. A lot of them are like... I, I noticed that a lot of the white people, white LGBT, whatever, they um, their parents were very accepting. Really? I found that uh, like a common theme. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the other people 
like um brown people black people they'll say oh yeah i was totally i got i get in fights at thanksgiving with my cousin or something they would say those and some people would just say yeah they recognize it but they don't talk about it uh, okay so there's more it's a very wide difference a variety mm-hmm. of experiences exactly how about, so okay so then so then so with your mom then you 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 came out over the phone um but she didn't accept that no so so would you call that sort of a, a coming out or or how would how would you how would you frame that well for me that is coming out because i i decided to do it right not on my own terms right and even though she didn't want to hear it or denied it it still happened right so she can't deny that it that event Right. Mm-hmm. And and but because she doesn't accept it, is there a process between you and your mother that that sort of involves your continually coming out to her? Have you kind of let that go or? Um, I let it go. I feel like I don't have to state it so blatantly. Mm-hmm. Um, I even brought my boyfriend at the time and I introduced like our parents met. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It's very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds serious, man. And my, yeah, my my ex boyfriend's mother was like, "Does your mom know that you two are a couple?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, she knows." Yeah. Now whether she accepts it or wants to know or not, that's a whole different deal. Right? That's a whole deal. But they were my family was accepting him. They would say hi to him all the time, uh-huh. and they're like, "Well, where is he? Is he coming over today?" I don't like. Oh really? Yeah. Your family would say that. Mm-hmm. Okay. But we wouldn't talk about like what you guys do or are you guys doing good. Right. Like, they wouldn't check on the relationship. They just knew it was there. Okay. And then when it ended, no one talked about it. Really? No one said, you guys split or anything like that. Just Oh, wow. So it sounds like there's this sort of underlying sort of uh, desire, I guess, to support you mm-hmm. as as their son, right? But really sort of this kind of hands-off approach, this distance kind of thing, right? Yeah, on that topic, yeah. we, don't, we don't even talk about it. So it's kind of... What my romantic self or sexual self is completely ign- or like invisible, I guess. And and is it is it like that with 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 all of your family or? No, that's that's the thing. Cause my older brother, he's engaged, and then they they openly talk about them like, oh, are they are they having a cut child soon? Are uh-huh. they doing good? I heard them fighting the other day. Like, I'm I'm gonna call to see if um if he's mad still at her or something like that. Right. So and, there's an active involvement mm-hmm, on, on their part. Exactly. And when you I did when you in when you introduced your boyfriend, did you say this is my friend or this is my boyfriend? I said this is my amigo. Okay. Because mm-hmm. I don't know, <laughs> <That's> kind of <laughs> like what what are you bring him over for? Right. Sort of deal. And they were welcoming at like at the beginning. And, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, they liked him. And then his family liked me, too. Mm-hmm. So it, was like, it went really well. Okay. Uh, and and do you think then, so, so you were saying kind of like, so the way that your your family treats your, your, your brother's relationship mm-hmm. is one way. Do, do you feel like the rest of your family treats your sexuality um, as sort of this kind of, we just won't talk about a thing or is it just your mom or your dad or i mean is it is it um yeah we don't talk about anything even among my my siblings are closer to me uh-huh. that my younger sister uh-huh. we don't talk about sex or anything even though she has a boyfriend we uh-huh. don't talk about that and she don't I, I don't ask her she don't ask me and then my other brother too 
he's like, oh, I'm dating this one girl, but we don't talk about sex or, or how you, like, do you like her sort of thing? Right. Just, or they don't even ask me, are you seeing anybody? Okay, so anything? it's the whole family kind of mm-hmm. takes that approach. Yeah, we're like very... Ah, okay. Sort of weird. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's weird. I mean, it's it's just the, it's sort of the just the way it sort of functions, right? Mm-hmm. Folks trying to, trying to just avoid, you know, the the topic. The to- yeah. <laughs> yeah, that the, yeah, what they say, the elephant in the room, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I I wonder I wonder if so so these experiences you had you're 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 twenty years old and they seem to be happening pretty quickly, right? You get mm-hmm. sort of brought into this community at twenty years old, um, and then attempt to maybe broaden that community a few months later with mm-hmm. with your with your parents but i wonder is there anything you might be able to to sort of share with us um about the sort of build up to that to that process i mean so was your were your experiences in high school similar to to uh were they sort of in line with that moment at 20 years old or were, were you a completely different person in high school or did you have any of sort of an understanding of this would start, you know, building or? Mm-hmm. Well, in high school, only, only dated once and that was when I was 15. Mm-hmm. And um, I dated some girl for like a couple of months, three months. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that long. Um, I split from her and... My family saw me outside school with her, and they saw us uh, kissing, so it was like, oh, he's fine. But right. inside, I was thinking, oh, I don't even like her oh, sort really? of deal. And then um, and I was like, but I had a crush on um, one of my f- my friend's brother, uh-huh. and so it was very interesting. And then one of my best friends, too, I had a crush on him. But throughout high school, I was just a... I was studious. I would just um, focus on my my schoolwork, mm-hmm. my club activities. I would hang out with friends. Um, I was an anime person, so I would just be very geeky, uh-huh. just hang out with the weirdos. Okay. So I felt I felt fine being in that type of environment. Yeah. But I didn't feel no urge to date or be with somebody, like the people around me. Okay. So, but that changed when I turned when I got here. I started breaking down, like barriers to myself. Like why, why not have had sex yet? Sort right. of deal. Everybody was already. I felt like I was falling behind. Okay. I felt if I wasn't having fun, I would regret it later on in life. Started starting risking, you know, putting more risk out there, and that's when I started, um, I guess, experimenting. Okay. Mm-hmm. How, at when when at, at at fifteen, you know, you you so now the way that you you seem you talk about sort of your feelings back then use the word crush mm-hmm. right? you had these crushes on 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 a friend's brother and then you said you're my best friend and your best friend right but how did you rationalize to yourself then uh sort of those feelings towards towards those two guys i said it wasn't gonna happen and nothing nothing would come out of it but did you did you have a sense of yourself that that then said something about your own sexuality or or you just didn't even think about it that way at the time or i didn't think about it at that time okay so it's just like i guess i was i didn't even think about sexuality i just thought about romantic feelings okay rather than sexual feelings oh i see okay i wonder if that's pretty common man because in in the in the world we live in we do a lot of we do a lot of work early right Mm -hmm. to socialize socialize boys and socialize girls into sort of making what what we see as appropriate 
kind of relationships, right? I wonder so much so if oftentimes we simply sort of blur the lines, right? So so women are allowed to be really close and intimate without this uh, any kind of accusation, right, of queerness. Mm-hmm. Women women are allowed and they're mm-hmm. supposed to sort of look for each other, depend on each other, group together and these kinds of things. But I don't think young boys are 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 pushed to do that thing, that same kind of thing. It's more like, you know, through particular activities and, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, violence and, and those, right, playing sports and those kinds of things. But sort of looking for each other emotionally is not something that men are supposed to do, right? So I wonder then how does a, f- a 15-year-old or a 14-year-old or a 12-year-old make sense then of the differences between those sort of feelings right in their in their own mind well that's really that's really <laughs> hard to like come back with so, yeah yeah i don't know i wasn't taught to to look for a relationship i've always been told like oh just focus on your studies sort of thing right even i was never involved in sports i didn't get i was in soccer for like until i was 11 uh-huh. but then i stopped doing that because my parents didn't want to drive me <laughs> oh, okay. to the training mm. And so I just stopped interacting with a lot of people. I would hang out with myself a lot. Uh-huh. And so like, I feel like I didn't get socialized that w- within my family. I did. But outside of it, it's like only had one best friend. He was like right next my na- my next door neighbor. But then he started hanging out with other people, with other friends from school. Right. So I le- was like left alone. I was really solitary. I'm still solitary too, to this day right. <laughs> in my neighborhood. I don't uh-huh. talk to nobody. So it's like, and you still live in the same neighborhood? Yeah, still, still do. Oh, okay. The other thing I was wondering too is um, being peer pressured by peers, and I I know that you talk about how you were more of a solitary person, but the, um, you're when you were fifteen and you had that relationship, was it pressured by others? No, it wasn't. Hmm. Um, I thought she was really pretty, so I this, and then she really liked me, and I was like, well, we just give it a chance. Because I already had these sort of feelings. I remember back when I was nine years old, I would have also similar questions on my best friends mm-hmm. in um, elementary, all through elementary, then middle school. And so I was like, maybe, maybe I should not act on those things. Uh, somehow I knew they were bad, bad, um, bad feelings or whatever um, that I had. So I decided to combat them with trying to see if I, if I would did like girls. So I tried going with her. Mm. So it sounds like the 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 coming out process then was, for you was sort of a, sort of a really long kind of, kind of drawn out process, right? Mm -hmm. At one point you figured, hey, if I don't, if I don't sort of engage in the world uh, as who I am, then I'm gonna uh, potentially miss, Mm -hmm. right? Sort of a, a life that I that I could have. And that seems to be then the the moment that you decided then to to sort of I guess you know take uh, how, I don't how take I mean, a risk yeah exactly <laughs> that's how that's exactly how you said it before you're right take a risk yeah and do you think then the 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 possibilities for being accepted or rejected then sort of framed that as being risky. Yeah, it was a, the whole thing. Well, being young, like twelve years old, I didn't even know I had these. I had these feelings. I knew I had them, but I didn't have a name. 
until I started hearing them around when I was 14, 15. I was like, oh, you're you're gay. You're this, that. Don't be a faggot. Especially during the locker room, they would say it to other boys. <sighs> and then I was like, oh, that's... I'm like, oh, that guy likes that other guy over there. And I was like, oh, that's... And they called him gay. I was like, oh, I guess I was making connecting um, points. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, so, so that would make me then gay. So I was like, since it's bad, I wouldn't act on it or let anyone know. Right. So I wouldn't act anything about it at all. And so it took me a while, <laughs> a very long time. Right. And so I've, these feelings have always been there, but they didn't have a name back then until now. But then, hmm. See, that's important because the, the, I mean, you know, everything is important, right? But, but I mean, that's, that's interesting because some of the folks that we've talked to sort of didn't have to worry about sort of putting a name to something, right? Because the, the, the potential, the possibilities were, were, seemed to be, seemed to be wider. There seemed to be more, right? And, and for you then, the, the way I'm understanding the way I'm understanding you is that there were sort of limited possibilities, mm-hmm. right? And so then, you know, putting a name on it at a certain point in time made it a non-possibility, right? Not yes. an option. Mm-hmm. The boundaries were too close right. to each other. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so then... So then at 15 years old, then you, you're sort of... You were being socialized to sort of... St- to sort of go inward maybe mm-hmm. and hide those kinds of things, right? Rather than sort of embrace those kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, and, okay. And I get told that a lot too. I, um, so the, I meet, when I meet new people, they tell me, oh, from far away, I thought you were straight, the way you dress or walk. But then when the moment you start talking, that's when I know that you're not straight. Really? So I get that a lot. Okay. And I feel like I do do it on purpose to dress like, like very... I don't know how to describe it, like masculine. Yeah. A lot of people say that. Um, yeah, so I try to dress some very, like, boy, like, boy and try to hide it. Uh-huh. Try to get people not to notice it. So it's like, I still feel the, the repercussions of all this um, hiding. Oh, uh, okay. Is there, is there a disconnect between the way that you dress then and present yourself and the way that you feel? Or, do you, or, or is the way that you dress... Can it also be an authentic representation of, of who you feel you are? I feel it is authentic. I okay. really like the way I dress. Um, I actively choose everything. So it's like, I wanna, I'm going to look like this right. and um, like show myself off like this. But I don't want people to think. Ooh. Somehow I like, I like to like keep everything a secret or not peop- let people know things. So I right. try to limit everything mm-hmm. so for them to read less. I think one incident, there was a director that was talking to me in Grecia, and I think he was, he had a husband, and he was trying to read me, so I just, I started backing away from him, acting aloof, so <laughs> like, so he wouldn't notice anything, the way I talked, or... Where, where was this at? He was here on campus, it was, what was it, May? Yeah, like, uh, around May, it was, and there was other people in the room mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, we were outside, so oh. he was looking at the, like, a bucket, and as I just went to the side, and I started playing with flags... To pretend like I wasn't paying attention, so I wouldn't be near him. Uh, okay, so so that's then then the issue, right? Is is that perhaps you prefer to be read in a particular way, mm-hmm. and there are folks that are always trying to read you for their understanding mm-hmm. of who you are, right? Sort of limiting still the possibilities that allow you to be 
who you want to be. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 interesting. So I I wonder then how we relate that to the you said, you know, the in in some of those uh I don't know, you said at the some of your experiences with other folks coming out that sort of white folks seem to be accepted, mm-hmm. right? Or oftentimes they were accepted. And I wonder why it is then and and I don't know if you can answer this or not or have some insight into it, but I wonder why it is that there seems to be more possibilities to be for white folks than there are for, you know, uh, black or brown folks or or non-white folks. I really don't know. Yeah. Just haven't thought about why them. Right. Just, hmm. I thought it was because their families were more open Uh or more educated. That's why I thought. And then, because most of the brown people are black, um, they're like, "Well, yeah, my parents are migrants, or they don't know how to like my parents. They, my dad's illiterate, and so he's very. I guess that's the stereotype, right? That they're narrow-minded, right? And so that's why I thought, um, that the white, the white family, white parents were more educated, right? They met other people, they traveled, they would meet have a more wider variety of people to interact than, I guess, brown folks who yeah. are just stuck at work." something like that or I wonder I I wonder if um um what people call the work of representation mm-hmm. and I I trying to think if that has an influence in in fitting into something or or not not fitting into I guess because it's the way you explain it is you're talking about as you're growing up, you you notice differences, but then people, the way they talk about it, they make it seem deviant. Mm-hmm. So then you're only left to put those feelings into that box. And, um, and so it just made me also think about, like, a, aside from education, but also, like, radio and TV and having... A different box to put those feelings in. I don't know if that makes <laughs> sense. I don't think a major media thing taught or showed me other images growing up. What is what is non non hetero, right? Because it's I felt mm-hmm. like everybody was hetero. I was like, mm. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I don't know. I really don't know until I started actively looking for um, non hetero movies. Mm-hmm. So like. My friends, they would um, they would tell me, oh yeah, you need to see this one movie. I think it was called Quinceanera. Mm. It came out two thousand six around there, and um, I was in when was I? I was no, I turned twenty one already, and I saw that movie and I was I really liked it because one of the characters was like a cholo, Uh and so he was like very, um, like tough looking, right? But then he also um hooked up with this gay couple. Mm -hmm. It was like, so that broke my my like my stereotype or what is a, cho- a cholo yeah <laughs> a cholex <Yeah. laughs> there was there was a there was this huge like uh back when i was like 15 16 maybe 14 um the whole sort of gang aesthetic right was was pretty popular so even folks that weren't in gangs or whatever were that image was was sort of one of the few images i think that black and brown folks um um sort of 
could sort of uh, uh, use as a way to portray themselves in sort of public life, right? Especially in a particular, uh, in sort of lower socioeconomic classes, you know? And because of that, I remember there were a lot of TV shows that were trying to sort of, um, sort of do these exposés on like queer kids who were in gangs, right? So all of a sudden, um, Maury Povich, I think, did this thing on uh, on queer cholos or whatever, queer Mexican gang, you know, members or whatever, right? And it was this, it was this thing that was like not supposed to be, right? It was this, it was this thing. They brought these kids on stage, and they were these really, you know, stereotypical, you know, cholo looking looking dudes, but they were all queer. They were all, you know, they had boyfriends and in the gang, or some of them were, you know sort of not out to their friends but you know and and they made this whole spectacle kind of thing about it right but at the same time it's still it's still limited the possibilities mm-hmm. right for for being for people who might have associated as queer but also found themselves um you know as part of other racial or ethnic or classed communities right and i uh, so I, I was thinking then, so for you then, what are the, you know, what are the acceptable ways uh, of being? I think this gets to Grecia's question, right, about about sort of which ways do you have available to you to portray yourself in, in public? Yeah. So I draw a lot of, um, so I grew up in Fontana most of my life. And right there, we I live in the poor section of Fontana, not the high North Fontana and South Fontana, no. I live in the middle. We're in between the 10 and the 210. So it's very, um, very like suburban. But also at the same time, we have we had lots of, when I was growing up, lots of drive-bys happening. Um, lots of cholo cholo gang members. I mean, we had two rival gangs. People would um, get in car crashes and all the time because they were racing each other. And then my brothers were also caught up in that. And so I, I always looked up to my oldest brother. Um, he would dress up like... Like Mr. Capone or um, Little Rob. I like listening. <laughs> I love listening to Bone Thugs and Harmony with him. Yeah. We would play video games and all that stuff. So, so I like the way he dressed. And him, when he would bring his friends over, I like the way they dressed too. And so they had like these long sleeved white t shirts or like the, the fades, uh-huh. the spiked up hair. This is like 2000s. Everyone had spiked hair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I kind of like that. Like that was like everyone wanted to be to look like that. And I saw I wanted to be like that too. So that's, if you notice how I dress sometimes. Right. <laughs> like to... and, and so then the, stereo, the stereotypical image of queerness is not that, mm. right? That becomes in a, in a certain, in certain areas, in certain neighborhoods, that's the stereotypical uh, sort of look of young masculinity, mm-hmm. right? Quote, quote, unquote, right? Yes. And, and so I wonder then, what are the other options that, that, that queer kids have in in those spaces, right, in, in communities like that. Because I know those two things aren't mutually exclusive, mm-hmm. right? And that's one of the things that those shows, like Maury Povich and whatever, sort of showed, but they showed it in this negative way, right? They showed it in this sort of still deviant way as if these folks were hiding under something else, right? As mm-hmm. if they were queer, but they were hiding under this masculine look, right? As if the two things mm-hmm. couldn't, couldn't come together. But I wonder what are the other possibilities for, for queerness, for a young, you know, Latino kid or a young uh, uh, black kid or a young, you know, Latino woman or, or a young black woman, like, what are the possibilities for them 
to to represent themselves to the rest of the world that aren't sort of on one extreme or the other of the stereotypes. That's very hard, right? Because you got to take what's around you to right. fashion yourself. And so what I had was around me was like what the swap me, the indoor swap me, <laughs> my my gang relate gang related brothers, right? And his posse. So I didn't have I didn't have and nobody nobody in my high school was openly out either. I don't remember no one coming out. Right. Until after. So like just recently I went to a um a Christmas dinner last um last Christmas. Yeah. And all these boys from high school and apparently they all came out, like five of them. From your high school. From my high school. Okay, yeah. And I was like, oh, I knew you were, I knew you were different. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like very, it was a very big shock. So see, that's awesome because because what what it makes me think of, right, is you say you grew up in in Fontana, the indoor swap meet, and all of these other places, right, that are that are oftentimes seen as classed, right, or oftentimes seen as uh, raced mm-hmm. or gendered or whatever else. But it turns out, I would imagine then that for some folks. The indoor swap meet is a queer space, mm-hmm. right? Even though no one knows or no one's interacting in that space as a queer space, but ultimately for lots of people, right, the indoor swap meet is a queer space, mm-hmm. not the stereotypical, um, you know, gay bar or the stereotypical, right, like mm-hmm. nightclub, right? But these mm-hmm. sort of everyday mundane spaces. Mm-hmm. They're like the undercurrent that's yeah. pushed on like way below everything else. And everything else, like, everyone just pays attention to the surface. Right. So, that's how, that's, I figured how, that's how you put it, or, that's how I made sense of what you just said right now. Yeah. But, I mean, but it seems to be, so, for for you, for example, then your experiences of those spaces were partly in either, you know, resisting or, or embracing or figuring out your own sexuality, right? Mm-hmm. And then the folks that you say in high school all of a sudden came out later, right? Ultimately, they were experiencing those spaces as, mm-hmm. as queer spaces, mm-hmm. right? Even the aesthetic, that 1990s, uh, early 2000 sort of aesthetic of, of, of sort of hyper-masculinity and, and, and gangs and all of those kinds of things, right? In some ways are, are naturally queer spaces, mm-hmm. right? It's just we don't, they don't fit into the stereotypes. No. Into the, into the mainstream or the popular notions of of queerness or could you say that even a coming out story has also that like has a maybe a a popular way of coming out or a baseline a baseline yeah like there's there's already a framework for Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely we see it in tv and stuff don't we we i mean it seems to be the the there is the sort of um acceptable way of coming out right i think of the 90210 character I forgot his name he came out in the, back in 2002 now that I researched it like that he that was like one of the first gay characters the white male okay and so but that's just one and I felt like everybody's falling suit with that image of a white male right so like a domino effect mm-hmm. that happened in popular media yeah. right but I think I think also that goes back to your quite your 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 comment about white folks, the narratives that they're telling about their coming out stories are narratives of acceptance. And I think partly that's because there's way more possibilities to be, right, in our society for white folks. 
mm-hmm. for black and brown folks the possibilities of of putting on a public persona that is appear that that is allowed to be or appears to be quote unquote authentic mm-hmm. those 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 they're they're limited right the public the sort of roles that we can play in, in public are limited and so oftentimes none of those roles include queerness right and if they mm-hmm. do they're on the super far end of the stereotype right the the the, the chimera yeah right so so they're on the super far side of of the spectrum where it has to be some you know um sort of reclusive person in the neighborhood that all the kids make fun of right or mm-hmm. some super flamboyant man who only hangs out with okay. the other men's wives and mm-hmm. everybody makes fun of him right or or you know, or the person who becomes a hairdresser because ultimately that's what other women do. You know, you know what I mean. The mm-hmm. the, the roles then are are super limited. It's 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 sad. But it's also interesting to know that that the way that you're talking about your narrative connects it connects your experiences back to those other spaces too, right? Like Bone Thugs and Harmony, mm-hmm. right? Or or Little Rob and you know, uh, what was it, Mr. 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 Capone? Mr. Capone, yeah, exactly. Oh, man, that's a, those are, that's a throwback there. Yeah, and I saw them just a couple months ago. They look really old. Right, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. But so then I wonder how those dudes would feel, right, if they, like, they're sort of putting out this hyper-masculine kind of uh, aesthetic in their music, in their performance, right? But how would they feel, or how would they make sense of the fact that there's a whole group of folks that also are part of that aesthetic or part of that whatever it is but then identify themselves as queer right i I wonder what i wonder what they would say to that kind of stuff you know they'll be definitely surprised right you think so i think so yeah or i guess unless they came across a bunch of people but they didn't mention it right and quite and quite possible, mm-hmm. you know, lots of those dudes are queer themselves, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I, I've noticed the the whole thing now in music, um, where there's a lot of dudes. I think it's well, like there's a lot of folks, but 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 specifically, I think dudes that are sort of coming out in their music, but not necessarily in in mm-hmm. pop in public life, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You kind of whispered that, but yeah, yeah I did. Huh? <laughs> That's why I do in class. <laughs> <laughs> but there, but that, so Tyler the Creator, for example, right? The mm-hmm. big thing right now is that whether, you know, some of his lyrics are homophobic, but at the same time, he appears to be coming out in his music, right? But it never goes as far as it could. So there's this other dude. I don't know if you guys know him. His name is uh, or heard of him. His name is uh, Fly Young Red. So Fly mm-hmm. Young Red is like his music is queer, right? And and it and he's he's a thug supposedly in his music. But all of the things that you know, gangster rap would be talking about with, in relation in the context of of, of uh, heterosexuality, mm-hmm. he's talking about it in in the context of queerness, right? So mm-hmm. so he's uh, you know in this video he's at a strip club, but it's dudes, okay, right? <laughs> so he's and he's explicitly talking about his sexuality, right? Mm-hmm. And then the images back that up. But I've never heard anybody else talk about Fly Young Red, right? It's all these kind of subtle ways of mm-hmm. sort of pushing the boundaries or whatever, you know? Yeah, depends what people want. Do they want them completely broken down or like what do they feel comfortable doing? Right. Or what, what, what does the economic, 
what do their managers tell them to do right oh, that's okay. another important factor right yeah because it's all about selling mm -hmm. selling uh selling your voice or whatever <laughs> yeah, selling your voice or yes marketing products or all kinds of other so, stuff right so when you're pushing the boundaries it really depends on what the audience wants to consume or or is set up to be able to consume me yeah, i don't, I don't mm -hmm. know but it works both ways doesn't it like the audience could reject something but at the same time are we taught to consume this sort type of music right mm -hmm. this goes both ways and i think also like the conversation that you know you're we're having about the possibilities it's just and then now this economy it just makes sense that identity politics is really like this is where this conversation in a way we see how how it's identity politics m does that work of making possibilities available and not the possibilities of being right or limiting yeah limiting those possibilities i, I wonder alejandro um so you, you you said a little bit about how it is that you prefer to dress and represent yourself mm -hmm. and some of the reasons um behind that are there are there times then when you figure hey i'm going to take on another persona or i'm going to represent myself in another way or is the the way that you know we see you now is this always the way that you represent yourself to the world this is how i always present myself right. i haven't tried becoming someone new right it's kind of hard but i feel i think i do that through my music i try to expand my music it's like um so i'm always listening to music all the time so sometimes I go through my Spanish phase when people think I just listen to just Spanish music and sometimes I just go through my EDM uh -huh. phase. That's how I fashion myself. But, but how I do my appearances is just the same. Okay. That makes sense. So the, so so you are who you are mm -hmm. and you then allow yourself this sort of diversity of experiences mm -hmm. through the ways that you might, you know... Uh, interact with other types of things but ultimately the way that you present yourself to the world is the way that this mm -hmm. is who you are yeah it yeah. might depend hmm sometimes i limit that i become quiet a lot oh really in new spaces or something like that when i just don't want to interact just become quiet and, and is that is that then because because you feel some kind of way about um presenting yourself to the rest of the world or is it because you don't want to take the time to explain to other people about you know how they should perceive you or the the ways that they might go about perceiving you i mean it does take a lot of work to tell someone like oh yeah if i'm if i'm not talking to you don't take it the wrong way sort of deal but it's, it's taxing right yeah and it's like oh if i'm talking about i don't know what the heck is another one? If we talk about sexuality, I feel I always have to talk about set of like a ground rules. Like, oh yeah, so we're gonna talk about this. I don't know if you're comfortable all this time. <laughs> and if you do that with everyone all the time, so it's like, Ugh. but at the same time, hmm, a lot of stuff goes on. There's like some type of emotional labor that goes into kind of configuring <laughs> out or what you're going, mm -hmm. what you are allowed to talk about or yes right <laughs> so so i imagine then oftentimes people um i mean like you kind of started off the 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 narrative with people oftentimes see you mm -hmm. right and then when you talk then they get a different sense of who they thought you were or from who they thought you were 
And do they expect you to make sense of that for them? Do they ask you all kinds of questions or, or is it something they just simply accept? They ask me questions. Yeah. So like, was the most common was like, oh, do you have a boyfriend? Yeah. So they just want to, they don't explicitly tell you if you're gay yeah. or, or if you're straight or not. Right. They just want to, they imply it through that. Right. So that's the main question I get. Right. That's another one. Yeah, because as a brown person, you're supposed to, you have to either do those extremes, right? Mm -hmm. You have to come off as either super flamboyant or, to, yeah, or super masculine, <laughs> right? To be to be red, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I try to go for the super masculine one. <laughs> I think there's a preference. There's a preference out there for that one. Yeah. So, like a big, big economy. Oh, I see. Oh, so it's part. Of, it's part of your own. It's part of your own social strategy then too, right? That's, that's how you. That's, so that's how you attract the people that you're. You're yeah. also interested in. Yeah, and that's also like a defense mechanism. Okay. Because I don't want to be walk be flamboyant. And like, right. Um, with my brother's friends and they'll start talking shit to me right right there so i had that happen before really like what were you wearing i think i was wearing a pink button shirt and like why are you wearing that pink button shirt you you look you look like a faggot yeah see that that's yeah see yeah and it's funny because young folks nowadays right they sort of push the boundaries i was having this conversation with someone else they push the boundaries but to to older folks it looks like they're sort of breaking the boundaries down, right? But my sense, because I have a 17-year-old son, my sense is that they recognize the boundaries. They just recognize them in a new way. So they haven't broken down the barriers. They've just added different spaces. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So queerness still means something mm -hmm. in my son's circles. And masculinity still means something in my son's circles, right? They've pushed the boundaries a little bit so my son can wear... Uh, pink something or my son can wear have it has a backpack that's pink the right? brand pink no no it's a <laughs> <laughs> so my son has this nike backpack right that is that is this it's pink he says mm -hmm. oh it's salmon right or whatever but it, it's 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 pink right which when i was a kid even saying the word salmon right people might have been they'd have been like come on man really but so so he can say salmon or he can even say pink right and people not then necessarily say, oh, that's associated with this young kid being queer. Mm -hmm. But they still recognize the boundaries and there still is a line that can be crossed. Mm -hmm. Right. That is still dangerous for kids at his age. Right. So if my son isn't super, um, you know, if he's not jumping all over uh, girls his age or he's not, you know, engaging, you know, in, in locker room talk or whatever else, then there's still the threat of him being perceived by his colleagues or his peers as queer. And that's still meaningful even to young folks today, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like those boundaries are gone and there's just all this fluidity where no kid, the kids don't care anymore, you know? Right. The, the, I thought it was a growing circle, like yeah. the radius increase, with the radius increased right. sort of, right, sort right, of deal right. of the right. acceptable. Right, and that's the that's the point, right? Is there's still there's still norms that are acceptable. It's just that kids recognize them in another way that mm -hmm. that adults and adults in another generation don't seem to recognize anymore, right? Which makes adults look look at the net, the 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 younger generations and say, oh wow, they're doing all this great stuff mm. around queerness. But it turns out that kids are still getting bullied around their queerness, right? Kids are still afraid to come out. Kids are still getting beat up, you know. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and all these other kinds of things, right? Just, mm -hmm. just because kids are wearing pink 
<laughs> so, so adults or like the older generation, they confuse boundaries with experiences. Perhaps, yeah. yeah. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, or their experiences around those boundaries, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, man, thanks for, uh, mm-hmm. thanks for coming out and talking to us. All right, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. So what uh what'd you what'd y'all think? First of all, there are a lot of topics. Yeah. You guys talked about so many things. There was there was a lot going on there. I don't yeah. even know what to focus on because yeah. I had so many like th- thoughts and, and relation like things I could relate to and Yeah, you were saying you were saying, Frankie, that uh sort of that reminded you of some of your own uh sort of childhood experiences, sort of the way that Alejandro, for example, was making sense of, uh, of these, I, I don't know if we'd call them feelings or emotions or, or, or what, right, that he had for, for his friends at a, at a, at a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of how he then learned how to deal with that or how maybe he was even sort of trained, right, to, to yeah. deal with those kinds of things. Yeah, how, you know, I'm non-binary but i've been kind of socialized in a feminine way Mm -hmm. and so for sure i got different messages about what does it mean to have a friend Uh and like what's you know what's acceptable but now looking back i'm like was there clues or their inclinations with the way that i would interact with my uh, female friends that maybe you know sure we're allowed to be more like whatever touchy-feely and share things whatever but was there more than even that when i think about you know even going back to like kindergarten which is pretty you know but then when i get older i kind of dealt with it a lot differently but enough about enough about me (laughs) (laughs) I mean that's it's it's I think the the important thing there is it's sort of it's sort of relatable, mm-hmm. right? And I think uh, just a minute ago before we turn mm-hmm. the uh, microphones back on, right? Yeah. You and you and Grecia were talking about sort of a a baseline, mm-hmm. right? For for coming out or a baseline for for being, um, and and I think that that then is sort of all sort of all relatable, right? So I, I don't know if there is a baseline, but there seems to be something that creates sort of this common kind of experience, right? I mean, here's what I can say. There's definitely a trope of, like, and I don't know where this got started, but there's definitely (laughs) a trope where it's like, everyone come sit down on the the couch, and you guys are going to sit down here, and I'm going to be standing up, and I'm going to talk to you, and I'm going to give a big speech about how I'm gay, and mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's a big deal, and you guys are going to be shocked, or maybe some of you aren't going to be shocked because I'm super flamboyant or right, whatever, right, you right, know what right. I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, <sighs> and then and then that that whole scene then ends right either with uh, either like tears with violence right or, oh. or, or, or tears or uh, tears of happiness or hug, sadness right okay. yeah, yeah but, or, or a group mm-hmm. hug or, or someone walking away or but the fact that that like the, the trope I guess is that that's supposed to happen right and for a lot of people like Alejandro <laughs> yeah, it never what if, did what if that never happens yeah then 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 how do you sort of continue 
sort of the the journey right it continues sort of moving on i think those are all the kinds of things that that seem sort of complicated Mm -hmm. and 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 on top of that when your family's avoiding or denying the Mm -hmm. conversation that once happened um it's like a continuous journey to come out to them oh man and it's tough too because like we've all been saying throughout this whole time that it's a continual process because every time you meet a new person well, you have to suss out, you know, are they safe to tell this uh-huh. kind of thing to? Right. That's going to be a different answer for different people. And every time you meet someone new, you have to ask yourself how much you're willing to divulge about your what could be considered to them like sexual deviancy behavior. But to you might be just like I'm in a relationship or I have like I'm married to someone of the same gender as myself and you know gosh it it can be such a wide range of reactions that you have to do a little mind reading and divination (laughs) and figure out is this okay or what so i feel like he did that sometimes you know like even with his professor or i don't know if it was his professor just the professor who was uh who had a husband right uh, the the gay one and how he felt alejandro felt like actually he was being sussed out by like the professor right, and he right. kind of shied away from that right, right. and okay. so it's an interesting dynamic yeah he he expressed that he like he avoided being read like he doesn't always like being um read and so he likes to play tricks he even said it that way <laughs> but i th- i think the 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 sort of uh, part of that then has meant and 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 sort of you know he talks about this in, in a lot of different ways uh and Grecia, you had just mentioned it as well um is the the community finding him mm-hmm. or a community finding him right mm-hmm. and so in the in, in alejandro's case you know he, he it seems to have taken him a while um mm-hmm. to go seek out something right rather it seems like something sought him out um first or something recognized right uh something was recognizable Mm -hmm. and that then meant that a community found him Mm -hmm. um and and i and i wonder if you know we talked about sort of two extremes and those seem to be that seems to be the other side right of of sort of the the deliberate kind of explicit sort of coming out in front of a group of people (laughs) right Mm -hmm. an introduction kind of thing right Mm -hmm. um and then the other pole of of someone finding uh, you and then bringing you into a community, right? Mm-hmm. But the spaces in between seem a little less, maybe obvious or 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 or, or I don't I don't know. They seem a little more normal, right? Which then seems weird in the context of of queerness in the in, in or something that is supposed to be so deviant, right? Something mm-hmm. that's supposed to be so you know odd or extreme or, or whatever else. Like, when he was talking about how he dresses and how some people Mm -hmm. will meet him and say, like, oh, from a distance, I thought you were straight, but when I heard you talk, then I knew. (laughs) And that also brings, like, a whole other aspect to the situation, which is the, like, what linguists sometimes call the gay male accent, which is, like... (laughs) 
almost an it's a phenomenon that there's no clear answer even for why it necessarily exists but it's funny kind well i don't know if funny is the right word it's it's interesting that, yeah, it, got, yeah, that yeah. it gave him away and maybe he didn't want it to right. i'm not sure but right. he definitely dresses you know he, he said he dresses a certain way and he even ad admitted kind of later that it was like sometimes a little bit of a social thing like a protection but he also just likes what he likes to, yeah, it's to all, wear it's all part of his persona right yeah. but then but then in the context of his sexuality that all of a sudden gets sort of questioned mm -hmm. or, 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 or interpreted, I guess, right? Because, I mean, because we do, a society does have these ideas of what you could be and what you cannot be yeah. and where you fit in. And, and, and so, like, that's what, being read, he's going through people fitting him into these boxes. Right. Mm -hmm. And the idea of being um, taken into a community or dragged <laughs> into a community right. it wasn't violent it wasn't no. um yeah exactly it yeah. was it's it seemed like a, a friendly a peaceful journey yeah yeah between him and his co-worker yeah it seemed it seemed to be it seemed to be from a place of love rather than from a place of exclusion or a place of of uh sort of hate or or mm -hmm. i mean uh, you know i i hate to sort of use those as the only two poles right but but it seems in the sort of popular um, representation of these things, those are the two poles, right? Yes. And what I what I really thought was was, I think, great about uh, Alejandro sharing his his experience with us um, was that he sort of stayed away from the stereotypical kind of coming out and then instantly belonging, mm. right, to a community that also meant then that he instantly sort of belonged to these. Um, sort of acceptable geographies of, of queerness, right? Mm -hmm. And the, you know, in the, in, the, in, the, in the place that he grew up and the time that he grew up and sort of the aesthetics that were important to his upbringing, mm -hmm. um, you know, he, he really complicated those spaces as queer spaces, right? The, the, the street or the park, um, the gang, or, or even, even the, the indoor swap meet, right? Mm -hmm. I think in the context of, of Alejandro's narrative or Alejandro's coming out experience, right, overall, the broad coming out experience, those spaces became queer spaces, right, or always are queer spaces. I actually had kind of a, a question about that because when you say queer space and yeah. making, <clears throat> for example, the indoor swap meet a queer space, well, I mean, you can exist somewhere being queer, but... Does that make the places you go often queer spaces? Because what if you don't feel necessarily safe to be out there? Or like, how does, so what is meant by interacting yeah. with that space in a queer way? And, and that's exactly, that's exactly what I mean to say, right? Is that, that oftentimes not feeling safe in a space is about, I think, right? Is about a, a, a whole number of reasons. But the reason why you might feel safe in a space is also right about those those same reasons, and so the 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 popular spaces that are, you know, created for us as identity groups to exist mm. in, mm -hmm. right, are supposed to be safe spaces because there's something um, sort of natural or essential that brings us all together in those spaces. Mm -hmm. But for someone 
who grew up, uh, you know, in in the socioeconomic, you know, place or whatever that Alejandro grew up in, maybe those spaces aren't the safest spaces, mm-hmm. right? And maybe it is um, the spaces that we don't often think of as queer spaces, right? Um, spaces that still might be um, sort of hyper-masculine, right? I guess which some, some folks might suggest are, are homosocial, mm. right? Not necessarily homosexual, but homosocial. Oh, right? I, okay, yeah. And those spaces that we think of as hyper-masculine or as dangerous or whatever are oftentimes queer spaces, right? Because people who exist in those spaces are queer and they make them their homes, Mm, right i see do you see what i mean to say so i the, think I see so in popular culture uh, a, a gang is not seen as a queer space right right yeah but in listening to alejandro's narrative there are folks who experience those spaces as queer spaces right not yeah. in the pop sense and not in the sanctioned kind of identity politics sense mm-hmm. you know but but in ways that define a a, a, a particular sort of experience of queerness i think right yeah i like that you brought up tyler the creator by the way <laughs> yeah because yeah that's in in music and maybe you know in hip-hop for example it's not maybe or really anywhere just you don't expect necessarily to see um people talking about their identity right. like pretty openly or even alluding to it sometimes yeah people will allude to it but how explicit will they be and there's actually a group called Brockhampton there's like a it's like a boy band kind of but more like rapping and less like singing I don't know if they dance or I don't know but like (laughs) also there's like 12 people in this or something it's like pretty wild anyway but one of them like openly raps about you know i wish i had a boyfriend oh my goodness i somehow i got harry styles number oh oops i called it and it was the wrong number i don't know i think it's funny but it's also kind of nice that it's like he's pretty out there about it and he's like what what are you gonna do about it he's almost like he's almost like taunting you know what i mean but but so so the thing is is that if you if you if you see some of these sort of pop representations right like what is it bronson bronski beat or um uh marlon riggs um years back made a documentary called uh, tongues untied and there were these sort of journeys right from spaces back home in small towns where they weren't allowed to be queer to these new acceptable queer geographies like san francisco oh. or some place in london or some place in New York, right? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden now these are the acceptable geographies of queerness. But what about the people that don't go seek those spaces out and end up making uh, the spaces in which they've always felt comfortable or recognizing how those spaces can be queer spaces? So so you, you bring up sort of hip-hop. So there's this, uh, this guy named uh, Fly Young Red, right? Mm-hmm. And he's not, he's not leaving the hood. He's not leaving the the street or mm. the strip club um to talk about queerness in his rap music mm-hmm. he's he's taking those spaces and explicitly making them queered spaces right and i th- i think I, I i felt some of that or or i got some of that from alejandro's narrative and i mean i think when we talked about spaces that are not normally seen as queer 
I was also like, it took me a while. And I think even if, if this is stuff that I, I spaces, thinking of spaces is something I, I like to do and I've been doing for a while, but it's always difficult because I think, like you mentioned, there's opposing truths that are happening in these spaces, mm. but one o- always gets highlighted over the other. Oh. Right. So when you think about them, you can't really like wrap your, it's not easy. It's not easy <laughs> yeah, to do yeah. it. Absolutely. It, t- it could take time. Yeah, it seems sort of antithetical, right? It seems that uh, it, it, it sort of unanchors right that thing that we see is truth and that then sort of messes up the whole the whole sort of uh sweater yeah the whole there you go it starts unraveling is that a weezer is that a weezer reference right there is it it might be (laughs) yes it might be yeah i think it is but 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 the other so so alejandro says you know back in high school there were these folks right that 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 you know he he didn't think were queer Mm. well maybe and then he says he went to some dinner, right, over uh, a Christmas dinner. Mm-hmm. And there's like six or seven, seven, you know, people who, who came oh, out. Yeah. Right? From and his then, high school. Absolutely, right? So then mm-hmm. there are these spaces, right, that are being recognized and experienced, whether they're allowed to be called those kinds of spaces or not. And I think, I think it's worthwhile sort of focusing more on how those spaces are interpreted by folks rather than sort of the identity politics uh approach where we create sort of these legitimate spaces to house right particular types of bodies you know and then also i mean i think along those lines we went into thinking of um older generations looking back at younger generations Mm -hmm. and thinking that there's things are changing but even if we do focus on the spaces rather than the identity politics i think we can we can find new new boundaries that are being formed that maybe right. don't apply or translate to older generations. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in maybe some ways then still kind of overlap too, you know, like it, it's, it's uh, just unrecognizable maybe to those, to those older generations, I guess. Because I mean, you could think, I think you, you could say that's great. You know, six people are coming out now. When I was in high school, nobody had come out. And yeah. now it's it's great. And it is great. But something else might be happening if if we if we deviate from from um, from identity and yeah. more into like, what are these spaces creating? Creating, yeah. Producing, right? Mm. Yeah. Wow. Well, I think uh, this was this has been sort of one of my one of my favorite uh one of my favorite uh, yet, I think uh, we've had some good ones. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think they just keep getting better and better and, and better. This so, was yeah. so juicy. <laughs> so <laughs> much juice. Right on. <laughs> All right. Well. Um, yeah, I think that that takes us back to the whole trying to find unconditional love in the spaces, making it your own. Absolutely. You know, finding a home and seeking always unconditional love absolutely and i think that's gonna wrap it you think i think i think we yeah, yeah. i think we yeah we i think got that's it, it. <laughs> <laughs> well thanks for uh hanging out with us folks yeah yeah this was great thank you for having <laughs> me again oh yeah always yeah always all right uh that's it take care all right next time bye <laughs> <laughs> well that's our show Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll come back for our next episode. 
In the meantime, for more narratives, please visit culturalmediaarchive.org and click on Archive tab. Feel free to send us an email with any comments, complaints, or suggestions. You can reach me at frankieunger at gmail.com. And you can reach me at anthonyj at ucr.edu. Take care. Media Archive.